Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents the conclusion of his series, Identity and Authority. Identity and authority. And I want to begin this last session with what has become our signature text from Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26 in the New King James Version. So you can turn there in your Bible or in your device. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion. Amen. I love this scripture because it very neatly describes the essence of what we've been talking about in this series. And that is identity and authority. We were made in the image and likeness of God, which speaks of our identity. And we were given dominion, which speaks of our authority. And the very important connection we've been making in this series is true spiritual authority will flow out of established identity. If you know who you are in Christ, you will find your authority in Him and begin to operate in that authority in your everyday life. Amen. As I mentioned last week, we've broken this series into three major subtopics. Who you are in Christ, where you are in Christ, and your authority as a believer. This morning in the final session of the series, I'd like to delve a little deeper into the transition from who you are in Christ to where you are in Christ. And to do that, I want to take a look at Romans 8, 17 which I mentioned last week, but didn't end up reading. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation, Romans chapter 8, verse 17. This is awesome. And since we are His true children, we qualify to share all His treasures For indeed, we are heirs of God Himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. We will experience being co-glorified with Him, provided that we accept His sufferings as our own. Now, there's a few things I want to bring out in this passage, especially the way the Passion Translation puts it. Number one, notice it says in verse 17 that since we are heirs of God and are joined to Christ, we inherit all that He is and all that He has. We have our identity in Him. We are all that He is. If He is righteous, we are righteous. If He is holy, we are holy. If He is perfect, we are perfect. And we have all that he has, including all his authority. And we find that in Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Also, 
reading from the Passion Translation. That's Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Now, this is Matthew's version of the Great Commission. So Jesus says to his believers, after he's been raised from the dead, after he went and got the keys to death, hell, and the grave, after he was victorious and raised from the dead, he came to his disciples, to his believers, and he said this, Then Jesus came close to them and said, All the authority of the universe has been given to me. That's fun just to say. That's such an amazing thing to say that's fun to say. So I'm going to say it again. Jesus said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. That's awesome in and of itself. But even more awesome is what comes next. He said to his believers, now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Actually, it says Holy Spirit, but I'm so used to King James, I said Holy Ghost. <laughs> Holy Ghost just has a more of a Pentecostal ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> Peter said, these men are not full of wine, as you suppose. They're just filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, so the second thing I want you to ponder for just a minute, it's a bit of a side note, but the next thing I want you to see is there is suffering associated with living a godly life in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul was telling his protege, Timothy, this is New King James Version, 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, yes, And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen. It's not something we relish. It's not one of those scriptures that you put on your refrigerator. But it's a fact of life. If you're really making an impact for the gospel, you will be persecuted by natural people and by supernatural beings. So I want to talk about where you are in Christ a little bit more. I want to delve into that a little bit deeper. And to do so, we need to go to the book of Ephesians. And I just want you to know that Ephesians is a book that's all about who you are in Christ. The first three chapters especially. And the last three chapters are how you walk out who you are in Christ. Paul says here in Ephesians 1 verse 19 to 23... To the Ephesian church, he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Amen. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Listen to this, which is his body, the fullness of him 
who fills all in all. Now, I want you to put your logic hat on for just a minute. You know, God is eminently logical. There are moments when you have to make a leap of faith. But by and large, I believe the gospel is eminently logical. So follow me here. Based on what we just read, Ephesians 1, 19 and 23, if Jesus is the head and the church is his body, then his feet are our feet. Therefore, all things that are under his feet are under our feet, including all principality, all power, all might, and all dominion, and that includes Satan and his kingdom. You are actually looking down from a position of superiority far above Satan and his kingdom who are under your feet. I like to think about it like this. You are far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, but you're still able to reach down and stomp the enemy with your feet when you need to. But it gets better. Let's read from the second chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 in the New King James Version. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. Paul says, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. When we got born again, we were raised from death to life. But God took it another step and we were made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus at the right hand of God the Father in all authority. Therefore, we need to change the way we think about where we are in Christ. And in order for you to understand what I'm about to say, I need to recap what I mean when I speak of the three heavens. We talked about this in last week's session. The first heaven is the atmosphere above the earth, the stars, the planets. The galaxies, the natural universe as we know it. The second heaven is the spiritual realm above the earth from which demonic forces operate and attempt to influence the people and the nations of the world. It coexists with the natural atmosphere above the earth. The third heaven is the throne of God. Or the abode of God. Paul said I knew a man 14 years ago. Whether in the body or in the spirit. I do not know. But he was caught up to the third heaven. And I saw things there. That I'm not even allowed to talk about. So instead of looking up from the earth. Trying to punch through the second heaven to alert God in the third heaven about some spiritual crisis we're facing. 
We need to see ourselves already seated together with Him in all authority at the right hand of God looking down at the enemy far below. We need to develop a third heaven perspective. It is a monumental paradigm shift, but it is one you're going to have to make if you want to walk consistently in victory in your life and in your ministry. All right, so I want to shift gears a little bit here and take some time to shore up our scriptural basis for your authority and my authority as a believer. And I picked these next two passages because they came from the lips of Jesus himself and address our authority in him as clearly as you see it anywhere in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. This is Jesus speaking to his followers after he sent them out two by two. And he said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. And they went out and they did all that. And they came back to Jesus and said, behold, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. And Jesus said in response, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Those are metaphors for demonic spirits. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on demons and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing. I like this scripture because it makes it simple. It's kind of generic in nature. And you can even take this scripture and you can turn it into a prayer. No matter what area of your life may be under spiritual attack, you can take this scripture and say something like this. I thank you, Lord, you give me all authority. Therefore, I bind you, Satan. I take authority over all the power of the enemy trying to rob me of my financial prosperity in the name of Jesus. That's just one example of using this scripture and turning it into a prayer and binding up the enemy. And as trite and glib as it may sound, it actually releases shockwaves in the atmosphere of the spirit realm. Amen. Especially if you say it like you believe it with authority. They're like, whoa, somebody's got a hold of the word of God. We better keep an eye on this one. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Next, I want you to go to Mark 16, verse 15 through 18. Mark 16, verse 15 through 18. This is Mark's account of the Great Commission, which we just read in Matthew chapter 28 moments ago. This is again Jesus speaking to his believers after he was raised from the dead. After he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and all authority from the devil. 
the devil. Sound like the church lady. Y'all remember the church lady from SNL years and years ago? All right. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, this is a pretty familiar passage to many of us, but I want to zero in on one thing that is misunderstood and abused by some very unwise people. Verse 18. In verse 18, we read that one of the signs that would follow people who preach in Jesus' name is this. They will take up serpents. And it turns out that the phrase take up is very germane to the topic of spiritual warfare. The word take up there is the Greek word airo, and it means to lift up, take away, or remove. If you want some context, you can go to John chapter 5, where Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, and there was a man there on a stretcher who had been lame for 38 years, And the story was that at a certain season, an angel would come down and trouble the water, and whoever got in first would be healed of whatever disease they had. The guy could never get in there quick enough to get his healing. Jesus makes a beeline for him past all the other hundreds that were around that pool, and he says, will you be made whole? In other words, do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. Notice what Jesus said to him. Take up your bed and walk. It is the same Greek word. Airo. Take up, lift up, and remove that thing that has dominated you for 38 years. I believe it's a type of demonic oppression. With all that in mind, we know that this is not talking about snake handling. But about contending with demonic spirits and removing them from our lives and from the lives of others who are bound and oppressed. Which segues very nicely into what I want to talk about next. We have to fight spiritual battles. Whether we like it or not, we believers will have to fight spiritual battles. We will have to contend with evil spirits in the heavenlies. We will have to take them up in a sense, lift them up and remove them from our lives and the lives of our loved ones. Yes, Jesus won the ultimate victory over the devil and his kingdom. I've already talked about it. In his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Yes, he did all those things. But even though they are defeated foes, until the enemy receives final judgment, 
they continued to operate in the atmosphere as outlaws. And it is up to us to take the fight to them. To make them submit to their defeat. Again, I say whether we like it or not, there is warfare in the heavens that is constantly being waged. And I'm going to sound a little Star Wars here, but we are warriors in the great struggle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. We are on the light side, not on the dark side. And listen to this. This is very important. Not engaging in the battle is not an option. You can't just make it go away by not engaging in the battle. You have to fight. And if you hold to the extreme sovereignty teaching that's real popular these days, i.e. that nothing can happen to you unless it's the will of God, listen to me, then the devil and his crowd are going to steamroll you and convince you that it was the will of God. So don't go there. It's a ludicrous teaching. No, the Bible teaches us that in the Spirit there are things you need to submit to and there are things that you need to resist. James 4.7 James 4.7 says very succinctly straight into the point. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God And the things of God resist the devil and the things of the devil. It's a pretty easy formula. But you have to be engaged in the fight. Whether we like it or not, we're in a fight. And if you don't fight, you automatically lose. Spiritual battles have to be fought with spiritual weapons, not carnal, earthly, or natural weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. I'm going to read from the King James Version because it just says it the best. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, there's two arenas in which you have to pull down strongholds. One of the most important is in your mind. You cannot allow the enemy to build strongholds in your mind by his lying thoughts. You have to cast them down with the word of God. Anything that brings doubt and fear and mistrust into your mind needs to be fought against with the word of God. Thus you tear down those strongholds and every high thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. But there are also strongholds in the heavenlies. 
built by spirit beings, evil spirit beings. They build platforms and they build structures from which they operate to come against the people of the earth. Those strongholds have to be torn down too. And we have angels who will help us in that fight. If we speak the word of God. Psalm 103 verse 20 says. The angels excel in strength. And they hearken to the voice of the word of God. So if you want to loose angels in your life. Consistently and continually. Speak the word of God. Over every situation that's coming against you in this life. And you will be launching angels nonstop because they listen to the voice of the word of God. And they go forth and fight the battle for you in that realm. Taking the fight to the enemy. Amen. It's important to realize that spiritual warfare is not waged against people. Or against human institutions or organizations. But against demonic spirits who influence people, institutions, and organizations. To do evil and to oppose all that is righteous and holy. Ephesians 6.12 makes this very clear. Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice it makes it clear that when we fight this fight, when we engage in this battle, we are not fighting human beings. Sometimes we're fighting the demons that are behind the human beings. Influencing them to do evil and to come against you, bring harm. Notice there is a hierarchy of the demonic realm. These beings are organized. They have a rank structure. They have a chain of command. They have armies. But as formidable as they may sound, we have all authority over them given to us by Jesus himself. Just remember that. And one of the ways we can stay out of fear is to hold fast to that third heaven perspective. See yourself as you really are in the heart and mind of God. Seated at his right hand with Jesus, with all authority over the demonic realm below. Amen? Amen. I thought it would be good to end this series with some real-world examples of spiritual warfare that you can learn from and apply to your own life in ministry. It's one thing to talk about these things which can get a bit heady at times, but it's quite another to bring it down home and apply it to your everyday life. So I'm going to share some testimonies that I'm involved with either secondhand or firsthand. I want to share about a Ouija board and a girl in 1972 who had an encounter with the Ouija board. It's a very powerful testimony. And trust me, listen, Ouija boards operate by familiar spirits. It's not just a Parker Brothers game. It is an evil device 
that channels familiar spirits. So I want to talk about when I was a teenager in the 1970s, I got saved and filled with the spirit at a place called the coffee house. It met in the activity center of Grace Moravian Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina, about four hours from here. And our leader shared a testimony of a young teenager that he knew that had recently gotten saved and filled with the Spirit. Before she got saved, she would meet with her friends on Saturday night and they would have seances. And in those seances, they would pull out a Ouija board and ask the Spirit questions. And to their delight, it would answer questions about them and their friends with amazing accuracy. Well, a few days after the young girl got saved, not knowing any better, she went to the Saturday night seance at her friend's house. And to their frustration, they could not get the Ouija board to answer any questions at all. It just wouldn't work. Well, the young lady who had recently got saved started feeling more and more uncomfortable. And finally, she said, I just don't feel right about being here. I'm going to go home. And she left. And here's where the party started. (laughs) After she left, her girlfriends asked the Ouija board why it couldn't answer the questions when Susie was there. And the Ouija board answered immediately and said, because with her, there is God. Think about it. A 16-year-old teenage girl maybe three or four days old in the Lord, and the presence of God in her was enough to shut down familiar spirits. She was barely aware of her authority in Christ, and just her presence there shut them down. That's awesome. Imagine how effective we might be if we actually knew the authority that we have and started walking in it you would absolutely dominate the realm of the demonic. They would run for the tall grass when they saw you coming. Like one preacher says, oh no, the devils are saying, oh no, he's awake again. The next example is my encounter with a woman that had a spirit of infirmity in Minden, Louisiana in the early 90s. When Trisha and I were living there and attending Living Word Worship Center, I was asked to preach on a Sunday night. Some of you heard this testimony, some of you haven't. I preached on healing and had an altar call and had about 12, 15 or so people in the line and I was working my way from the left to the right I got about halfway through the line. I was having great success getting people healed. I started praying for this woman who told me that she had been deaf in her left ear since she was a little girl, and she was 27 years old. Now, she said she was a toddler, so somewhere around 25 or so years, she was completely deaf in her left ear. So I started praying for her the way I prayed for everybody else, when I had great success, and I had no success. It was as if my prayers were bouncing off this woman. 
And I just was puzzled. And then all of a sudden, on the inside, I call it the inward audible voice. I've heard the audible voice of the Lord when I was conscious one time in 1991. But just one time in my whole life. But many times I've heard the inward audible voice. And this was one of those times. And the Lord said, she has a spirit of infirmity. If you do not deal with the spirit, she will not be healed. And I was like, whoa, you want me to cast a devil out? Pastor Bill has only asked me to preach two or three times. I may never preach again if I go doing that. And he told me three times, and then he went silent. And I knew what that meant. You got a choice. You can either obey me or not. So I chose obey. I put my right finger in her left ear only because I saw a healing evangelist do that one time. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you foul deaf spirit, come out. Her ear popped open instantly. She heard for the first time in 25 years. Because I dealt with the problem which was a spirit of infirmity. And that is a spirit, a demonic spirit that is directly responsible for a sickness or a disease. If you want a scriptural example, you can go to Luke chapter 13. There was a woman there. The Bible says she had a spirit of infirmity and she was bowed over 18 years and could not raise herself up. And Jesus freed her of that spirit of infirmity and she was raised up and made whole. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Little funny follow-up. She came up to me two weeks later, and she said, I got a bone to pick with you. And I said, what? what's going on? She said, you know, ever since I've been healed in my left ear, my routine was I've got three boys. They're very rowdy, and they're very noisy. On Saturday, which is my day to rest, I would put my deaf ear up and lay my good ear down on the couch, and I could not hear a thing. She says, I can hear a pin drop, and I can't get any sleep. On Saturday, I said, you're going to have to take that up with Dr. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. In the spring of 1997, when Trisha and I had just moved back to Louisiana from Mississippi, I was struggling with depression. It was a time when I felt like, like I had no future and I had no hope. And I'm not prone to depression. It seemed like all my dreams seemed dashed and unattainable. It got so bad that Trish pulled me aside and said, Honey, this is not like you. You got to get a handle on this. The kids are starting to wonder what's the matter with dad. So after weeks of battling constant thoughts of despair, I had a breakthrough. I was in the shower praying in the spirit when I heard the Lord speak to me on the inside, again, that inward, audible voice. And he said, cast off the darkness and put on the armor of light. After I got out of the shower, I looked it up. It was Romans 13, 12, which goes like this. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It was God's way of telling me, wake up. How long are you going to put up with this? Enough is enough. Do something about this. 
That night I woke up from a deep sleep. Trisha and I were in the bed. She didn't wake up, but I did. And I was in the spirit. And I looked at the foot of the bed. And at the back wall, just beyond the foot of the bed, I saw this upside down, swirling black mass. It looked like a dark black tornado that was upside down, just swirling. I knew it was the spirit of depression. I knew it was the spirit of darkness. And as I looked at it and pondered what to do, again, I heard the word of the Lord on the inside of me. I believe it was Jesus himself. And he said it just like this. How much longer are you going to put up with that? In other words, he wasn't going to do anything about it. Because he knew he had given me authority and it was up to me to take authority over that demon spirit that was afflicting me in my life. So the Lord said, how much longer are you going to put up with that? And I said, not another second, Lord. In the name of Jesus, you foul spirit of darkness and depression. Get out of my house and never come again in Jesus' name. And he left. That quickly. And I wish I could say that the feelings of depression left immediately. No, I still had to walk it out by faith. And instead of just letting these thoughts barrage me nonstop without answering, I began to answer the thoughts with the Word of God. No, I will not give in to despair. I will not give in to fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love, a sound mind. Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, God has great plans for me. He has given me a future and a hope and expected end. God is for me. He is with me. He is in me. And I had to do this constantly over a period of two or three weeks until I walked myself out of that depression. Word to the wise. Where did that devil come from? This is something I learned from that experience. If you indulge the flesh long enough, i.e. with a pity party, just feeling sorry for yourself, not doing what you know to do, which is go to the word, declare what belongs to you, who you are in Christ. If you indulge the flesh long enough, you will open the door to demonic oppression. And it'll be your fault. Thus, you will have to take action to get rid of whatever you invited in. That's exactly what happened to me. Don't let it happen to you. Learn from my experience. Amen. All right. Whew. One more. And this has to do with taking it beyond your personal life and beginning to extend your authority to prayers for your nation. This was the year 2014. And I really felt impressed to the Lord in the year 2014 to begin praying for America. I would, I would stay up in our study many, many nights, and I would pray in the Spirit into the night, praying for America. And about three days before the anniversary of 9-11-2014, I was up late in my study praying again for America. You know, I felt in my spirit that the enemy might be up to something on the anniversary of 9-11 in 2014. I just sensed in my spirit that trouble was brewing, and I started praying against it. 
And when I prayed in the Spirit for about an hour, all of a sudden, that night, I felt impressed to pray for the safety of our U.S. congressmen and senators. And as I prayed, I found myself binding the activity and plans of the enemy and loosen angels to come and protect our U.S. congressmen and senators. And then I said, just randomly, you know, when you pray in the Spirit, you say a lot of random things that turn out to be real significant. I said, Lord, I don't care whether they're Democrats or Republicans. I am praying for their safety because they are Americans. Immediately, I had an image of a well-dressed black man come into my mind's eye, in my imagination. It wasn't like a vision. It was just in my imagination. But it was no less supernatural. And I knew in my spirit that I was praying for this man. I also knew in my spirit that he was a Democratic congressman somewhere. I didn't know what state. I didn't know what district. Suddenly, these words came out of my mouth. And they sounded strange because they didn't come out of my head. They came out of my heart. I come against any bombs that might be fashioned against our U.S. congressmen or senators. And I say that they will either prematurely detonate or fail to ignite in Jesus' name. And eventually I ended my prayers and went to bed. Three days later on the anniversary of 9-11-2014, I got up early and I read from one of the news services that I, that I use on my computer. And the first story that popped up was an FBI investigation of an attempted firebombing of the offices of a prominent black congressman in Missouri. Two firebombs were hurled at the windows of his congressional offices. Neither of them penetrated the windows Instead, they fell to the concrete below, and with fuses lit, they failed to ignite. Exactly what the Lord had me pray three days prior. Amen? Is that awesome? No telling when you've been praying in the Spirit how many of those scenarios have played out. You just weren't privy to them. The Lord just opened my eyes to this one particular time and showed me what I was praying for and showed me the resolution and showed me the deliverance. Amen. Amen. So I pray that these testimonies will encourage you to grow and establish your identity in Christ and to walk in the authority that he has vested in you. As I said earlier, not joining the battle is not an option. Learn to use your authority in every area of your life. Use it to pray for and protect your family. Use it to pray for and protect your country. Use it to declare your destiny in Him. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's message identity, and authority. If you were blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship 
and 10.30 for worship and service. If you'd like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.